When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Live's brand new Red Sox podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cotillo, Red Sox beat writer for Mass Live. I'm excited to unleash episode number one, our first official episode of this show on you guys this week. Now, last week we had Matt Votor, our columnist at Mass Live. Him and I talked about a charity auction I was doing on Twitter for COVID-19 relief. So kind of soft launch things this way. But this is our first official episode. We're going to get into the nitty gritty, get into the baseball side of things and kind of give you a preview of what to expect on this show going forward. So Mass Live, you know, we've obviously covered the Red Sox for a long time. I've been there for almost two years. My partner, Chris Smith, has been there much longer than me. Uh, and we've covered the Red Sox in the traditional way. Uh, on MassLive.com with, with plenty of articles every day to keep everybody updated on everything they could possibly want to know. Now we're bringing this to a, a different medium, the podcasting world, uh, and I'm excited to be able to share the Fenway Rundown with everybody, even if there isn't a baseball season to start. Now I know that everything baseball-related, everything sports-related you know, might be the last thing on your mind right now. There's a lot of people losing their lives. There's a lot of people losing their jobs, and it's a very tough time for everybody. So we hope to provide a distraction in the coming weeks and months and give you maybe 30 minutes, an hour a week, where you can listen and listen about baseball, think about something different, and, and kind of escape the bad news that's going on around us. You know, the Red Sox this week made a lot of news. I'm sure it's not going to be this busy for for the coming weeks until the season starts. But whatever happens, we plan on covering it. We'll do that in a variety of different ways, having discussions between Matt, Chris Smith, and myself, like you'll hear later in this show, maybe some other beat writers, some guys nationally to give you a perspective on on what people outside Boston think about the Red Sox. And we hope to have a a parade of special guests from inside the organization on this show uh, as well in the next few months. This week, obviously, the the story is clear. The Red Sox investigation is over. Major League Baseball issued their report after 100 days, after three months of waiting and speculating and guessing and denying. We finally had it come out yesterday. And I think despite the Red Sox losing a second-round pick, despite J.T. Watkins, the video operator, being suspended for a year, I think the consensus was that the Red Sox got off really easy and there was a... uh, it was clear in that report that the Red Sox had organizational control. What happened in Boston was nothing like what happened in Houston. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said that no Red Sox players would have been punished even if they were eligible to be. Obviously, they had immunity. He found Alex Cora guilty of no wrongdoing in Boston and found the front office also um, to be exonerated in this case. I think for the Red Sox, after so much time, so much speculation, that's a huge win. And so there's a lot of takeaways to, take, to, to think about as a result. First off, I think Alex Cora is is the big winner of the day. 
his suspension. I think a lot of people thought it could be a lot longer than it ended up being for a guy that was implicated as the ringleader in Houston. You know, that the account that account is a little bit up for interpretation because things have come out that kind of cast a, a shadow of doubt on that since the Major League Baseball report on the Astros came out in January. Cora still has not told his side of the story. I'd expect that to happen in the coming weeks. But people really thought of Alex Cora as the mastermind. He's the link between Boston and Houston. He was a guy who was intimately involved in that trash can banging scheme in Houston. And as soon as the investigation was opened up in the Red Sox, you know, that's not him as the bench coach. That's him as the manager. And I think the assumption was when you add those two things together, if the Red Sox and Astros were both found guilty of actual crimes, or at least baseball rule breaking, then Alex Cora was going to go down. The Red Sox, in the Red Sox case, Alex Cora was found not to be responsible for any of it. And his suspension, which goes through the end of the 2020 season, is uh, a result of everything that happened in Houston. Now, the Red Sox have an interesting decision ahead of them. They announced yesterday and came out publicly saying Ron Renneke is no longer the interim manager. He is the permanent manager. With that comes a caveat that his contract only goes through the 2020 season. Now, that's not a surprise. I think everybody looked at Ron Renneke when he was brought in and hired in February as a short-term solution. He's not the guy that you expect to hear from and see as the Red Sox manager for years and years to come. He's a baseball lifer. He was a bench coach. He was a, a, a safe fit, a guy who would provide stability and familiarity in a tough time for the organization. So I don't think a lot of people expected he'd be here you know, much longer than this season or, or two years. But the fact that Alex Cora can come back in 2021 has opened up a, a huge possibility for the Red Sox, an organization that really enjoyed employing Alex for the two years he was here. Now, something that people are not talking about and something that I wrote about at Mass Live is, would Alex Cora even want to do it? Now, the jury's still out on that. No one's talked to him. He hasn't spoken publicly on anything related to that. But in the past, Alex has said privately and even publicly sometimes that he sees himself as a future general manager. He looked at managing as a stepping stone to a front office job. He really enjoyed being in TV, which is sometimes a stepping stone to a front office job. And he really was fascinated with the behind the scenes. He really enjoyed getting to listen to Dave Dombrowski talking about all of his experiences. And while he loved managing, really does see himself in that role. Alex Cora is a guy who has two uh, two-year-old twins at home. That and that kind of family structure is not conducive to an 162-game schedule. Obviously, guys in the front office have a lot more flexibility. And maybe this time at home with his family, Alex has been home since January when he was let go by the Red Sox in that mutual parting of ways. He's been home since then. And maybe this year with his family will make him realize how much he misses having to experience all of that. So maybe something in TV, maybe something in a front office. But I think the people who look at or an Alex Cora return to the Red Sox dugout in 2021 as inevitable. There's a lot of different uh, things that need to happen before that becomes a reality. A huge piece of that is Heim Bloom. He did not hire Alex Cora. He was brought in to work with Alex Cora. He might want to bring his own guy. There's a few guys around the league who worked with Bloom uh, in Tampa, St. Pete, excuse me. I know if any Rays fans are listening, they'll correct me on that. And there's a, a school of thought that thinks that Heim Bloom would want to hire his own guy. So that is another uh, big question as we face 2021 and what the who the Red Sox manager is. Uh, does Bloom want to go back and go back to Cora, who is beloved by the owners and Sam Kennedy, or is he going to look to hire his own guy if Ron Ranicki's not back? The other piece of this I think is really important 
is that despite JT Watkins kind of looking like the fall guy, whether that was Major League Baseball's doing or the Red Sox doing, the Red Sox got off light, and they were vindicated after months of saying that they did nothing wrong. Anybody who's listened to anybody associated with the Red Sox in the last few months knows that they have denied any wrongdoing at any turn. They took a calculated risk by go- doing so. They were told not to say anything. And at the introdu- er, excuse me, at the press conference announcing that they parted ways with Alex Cora, the team's owners, John Henry and Tom Warner, would only say, we want fans to reserve judgment. There was a smugness about that. They kind of said, without saying it, we believe we're not guilty, so just you wait and see, and you'll see exactly where the facts lead. Once J.D. Martinez opened his mouth at winter weekend, the floodgates were open for players starting to deny it. J.D. Martinez said he was excited for the investigation to be over so that they could prove nothing happened. A lot of guys have come out. Ian Kinsler, uh, Rafael Devers, Andrew Benatendi, Joe Kelly, and most recently Steve Pierce, who, while announcing his retirement, said that the investigation was a joke. Those guys put a lot on the line by doing that. You know, They came out and they said, all right, you think we're cheaters? Now we're going to come out and say we weren't. And if they were found to be cheaters, they would be found cheaters and liars. They put a lot on their line by stick, sticking their necks out. And uh, it turns out that they ended up being right. A few players implicated Watkins and said he might have done some things that were technically against the rules. But in general, the Red Sox roster, the coaching staff, the front office was found to be clean. I think that's huge. I think that's a huge win for the Red Sox. And even though Sam Kennedy said that they were not taking any victory laps over everything that happened. The Red Sox should be celebrating privately because they came out and said they were innocent. And you know what? That's what the league found. So there's a lot to unpack on that. Uh, First, we're going to get some wonderful insight from Matt Votor and Chris Smith, who are going to join us to talk about some of these crazy plans Major League Baseball has launched to potentially reopen the season. Those guys are are older than me. They're fathers. They have families, and they provide uh, some interesting thoughts on if they would leave to go to some place like Arizona to start a season, and exactly what they hope to see once baseball season resumes. Now, joining the podcast, two guys that you will hear pretty frequently on here. My two colleagues at Mass Live. One covers the Red Sox, Chris Smith, and one is our columnist, Matt Votor. They're the other two guys that I work with at Fenway when there actually is baseball being played at Fenway, but obviously that's not happening right now. So thought I'd bring these two guys in to talk about all of the crazy theories that have been brought up about maybe how baseball will get back this year, whether it's in Arizona, it's in Arizona and Florida, it's on the moon, wherever it is. So Chris and Matt, welcome, uh, and uh, I hope you're ready to both be uh, quizzed on some of these crazy theories. So... We'll start with this. Thumbs up or thumbs down. You guys are both fathers. I'm not. If you're putting yourself in the mind of a player, leaving your family for four and a half months to live and play in relative isolation, thumbs up or thumbs down, Chris Smith? <laughs> thumbs, whatever the wife says is okay. Uh, no, but <laughs> um, no, but seriously, though, like, if if you're making if you know if if you're gonna make your full pay, paycheck by going away for four and a half months, then you know maybe the rest of the family agrees with that and you do it. Um, I wouldn't particularly want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't want to leave my family for four and a half months. Uh, but if you guys think that's the best thing, I mean, you know, families want to get their full salaries, and that's that's a way of doing it. And build a you know, baseball players want to get their full salaries and that's a way of doing it. So, uh, but, but then there's the inevitable, like, 
you know, Mike Trout situations where there's just definitely going to be more than just Mike Trout, where somebody's having a baby in the middle of the year. And yep. so they're going to have to leave the, uh, the quarantined area and it's just, everything's difficult. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's probably some players that are for it, some players that are against it, but I think that, you know, you obviously have to have the discussion with your entire family and then, you know, and then speak of that. And then an important issue is money. And Matt. Yeah, I, I think, I think he's right for me personally. I would like to say thumbs down, but yeah. there are players that are sending money back to, to their home countries or, you know, the, the players that have come from, from, from financial situations that aren't ideal, that um, it's, it's kind of a comparable in a lot of ways to American college basketball players going to play professionally overseas. Mm -hmm. And they leave their family sometimes to do that in order to, to create a better life for them. Uh, you know, down the road. Now the challenge, the, the the problem is, most of the time when they're leaving to go play you know, overseas, they're not leaving in the midst of a pandemic. Right. When you start to worry that your kids or your family um, could be at risk, and that I think that's really going to be the thing that you have to weigh is: Are you worried about yourself getting sick? Are you worried about your family getting sick? And did and do you have enough of a support system left behind to be able to do it? I think another thing that's been brought up among the many crazy things that have been laid out, and I think at this point it's clear, as Jeff Passan wrote the other day, for Major League Baseball to play in 2020, it seems like it is Arizona or bust, that Arizona plan where the teams play in functional isolation. They go only from the ballpark to the hotel and back, and they hang out only with their teammates but maintain social distance and all of that. It seems like the, the most logical way to play. Now, I think one you know problem that I see, and a lot of people have brought up, is you can make the jokes about, oh, it's a dry heat all you want, but it's going to be 115, 120, 125 degrees in Arizona during the summer. All of, I think there's 10 spring training stadiums. None of them uh, are domed. There's one regular season stadium, Chase Field, where the Diamondbacks play, where some games will be held. But um, thumbs up or thumbs down to the idea that these guys will be able to play and, and be able to get through a season in this heat, even if there are expanded rosters and uh, things like that. Yeah, that's actually, you know, an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, thumbs down. I mean, it's, you know, I, I the reason that they, they that the major leaguers are, why spring training is so early every, uh, and this is in March, you know, this is in February and March, why they practice so early, 8 o'clock every day. And why we have to get up at 7 a.m. for the clubhouse every exactly day, right? Exactly, is because they want to beat the heat. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's a huge situation right there. Um, you'd have to play, you know, in the evening or you'd have to play early in the morning uh, to beat the heat. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's obviously, a, a you know, a, a, a definitely a situation with they which they'll have to discuss. I, I think um, they're about to they're setting up to play a World Cup right now in Qatar in the Middle East, which is hotter than Arizona. Um and so I think one of the things that, that ends up coming into play here, I don't think the conditions will be technologically will be the same as they are during spring training. I think you'll be looking at them uh, importing uh, cooling stations, the, the same things that you see sometimes on the sideline of a um, of an NFL game. I, I think you'll probably see some sort of a ventilation possibility on the field. This is mm -hmm. not my area of expertise, but I would imagine. No, 
everything is my area of expertise okay. but no uh, i i don't know exactly what the right step to take is but i would imagine that they will be looking into some possibilities of things that can at least improve it in ways that um even if it's even if it's something like setting up something that would pr- provide a little bit more shade you'd you'd be able to take some you'd be able to, to knock a, you know a few degrees off of it in that scenario i don't know what it is but i'm sure that that's something that they're thinking about right now yep all right next one uh we talked about the heat talked about leaving your families now uh kind of some some things that they said or jeff passen wrote at least that could be instituted in order to you know change the game a little bit social distancing some of these umpires are older guys uh so maybe an electronic strike zone uh, technology might not be there all the way but i guess generally where do you guys stand on that, we'll start with Matt. Thumbs up or thumbs down on the electronic strike zone? See, my my thought generally is I, I don't know, but I like the idea if you're going to try it to try it in this ridiculous, everything is out the window season. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that's so so if you I I think it's worth exploring, and I think that it's so I I um I I think it's the technology might not be a hundred percent there yet. But I, th- I think if you're going to try it, this is this is the year to do it because everything is, is going to be a little grain of salt this season compared yep. to what, what it's been in other years. Chris? Yeah, I think that that's right. This is the year to try things. Um, there's an interesting thing that Gammons wrote the other day about how, you know, this is like a three – There's gonna, it's going to be like a three-year recovery economically for baseball. And – you know, and so after after this year, you know, especially if there's no season at all, uh, but even if there is some season, you know, it's gonna it's gonna take some time to get back to where they they were. Um, and so, I think baseball in general needed needs to do things to improve, to make fans interested, to to boost the economy, you know, or. Um, you know, get people there to the games, get get kids interested and all that. So I think anything that they try during this period would be a positive. And lastly, on this in this segment, uh, I think there's a lot of concern that maybe some players will refuse to go. Maybe, you know, divisions will be realigned. You know, there's a lot of speculation out there about a lot of stuff. None of us know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but it, the only thing that's going to be one thing for sure, as Alex Gore would always say, Baseball in 2020, if it is played, will not look anything like uh, baseball has been played in the past. So I give you this question as our last one here on on uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's say, uh, you know, no matter what the circumstances are, knowing that they're going to be different, knowing that the rules might change and rosters might change and everything, is the World Series and a shortened season, is the World Series winner in 2020 if there is a season? Uh, is that a legitimate winner or should there be an asterisk next to their name? Start with Chris. Yeah, it's a legitimate winner. I mean, you know, I don't care if the season's 100 games or 162 or 80. I mean, if you get to the postseason and you win a World Series, then there's no asterisk to me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I've always liked the idea of a shortened, a shorter season anyway than 162 games, just because, because you're not paid by the game. Exactly. No, but I think that, you know, I mean, I do think that fans would be more interested if there was a shorter season, um, but it will never happen anyway, unless, it, you know, 
course, it could happen this year, but it would never really happen in, in a realistic situation, uh, you know, another situation where there wasn't coronavirus because, you know, the, the, the owners don't want to lose that type of money. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, thumbs up right there. And Matt? Yeah, I, th- I think it's legitimate the same way that it was legitimate when when uh, when teams won World Series after work stoppages. I think I think I think, um, I, I think it, there's it, were there advantages that played out in this in this scenario for in for some teams. Sure, but no different than injuries in some seasons or, or whatever. There are are factors that influence. It's not always the best team at the start of the season that wins because mm-hmm. there are factors that influence that. Right. And so this is one of those factors. You, you kind of look at it like you look at weather. It's this is this is what's happening. You can't control it, so you do do the best you can. And at the end, somebody's going to have to win probably three playoff series to to win a championship. And that and you don't you can't do that if you're not if you're not good. Mm-hmm. And so you mean you mean you, it might be the hot team that does it, which happens sometimes, but that happens sometimes after a 162 game season. So it'll be certainly helped by a team that's healthier. But I, I certainly think they're a legitimate, uh, legitimate champion, no matter you know, and provided they're not you know creating some sort of an NCAA tournament one you know, win and move on bracket. I think yeah. as long as you keep, I think as long as the postseason is pretty comparable to what it normally is, I think that you're crowning a similar champion. Both of these guys think that no matter what in baseball, they'll have a legitimate champion if baseball is played in 2020. So more from these guys in a bit about what we've seen and how much has changed, not just in the world, but with the Red Sox in the last few months. So as we officially launched the Fenway Rundown podcast, official episode one, not discounting the wonderful chat that Matt Votor and I had the other day in episode zero, which is kind of our soft launch. But as we get back, we kind of thought it would be important and necessary to talk about kind of what has happened to get us to this point, not just in the world, but also in the world of the Red Sox, which is something that we all intimately know and have covered over the last few months. I think this has been, you know, if you just look back since September, uh, so much has changed with this team. You know, so much has changed in every level of this team in the front office and obviously the manager seat and on the roster. Uh, and so much has happened even in the last few months, completely unrelated to the coronavirus pandemic. And then, you know, that obviously threw the whole world for a loop. So I think it's important to just kind of think about how we got here in September. Dave Dombrowski's fired in October. Heim Bloom is hired. So now you have a new uh, chief baseball officer replacing the old president of baseball operations in January, Alex Cora is let go because of his involvement in the sign stealing scandal. The Red Sox are implicated in that. An investigation that is still not closed, by the way, is open then. In February, as spring training opens, Mookie Betts and David Price are traded. Uh, we then also have, at that point, Ron Renneke's named the interim manager. Seems like he'll be named the permanent manager if and when this investigation ever gets over. And after that, you have Chris Sale going down with Tommy John surgery. And as that's all happening, the world has completely shuts down and everybody goes home and baseball might not be played period in 2020 because of the coronavirus. So Matt, Chris and I have been at all the press conferences for all those major events. Um, We've seen it all up close and personal and we keep marveling. And I think Matt was the one who said a couple of weeks ago to me, wow, that press conference about Cora being let go was about six and a half years ago. And I think that's how we all feel. So I guess Chris, because you, don't cover any other teams like Matt does, and you don't uh, spread your wings. You're the other Red Sox beat writer. I mean, you've been around the Red Sox since you know 2012, 2013. Have you ever seen a period of craziness 
quite like what we've seen the last six, seven months to be. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some craziness. I mean, the end of that 2011 season, you know, yeah. it was like seven and 20 in the final month. And then, you know, Epstein leaves and, uh, you know, Sherrington's hired as, you know, that was a pretty, and then, and then and Bobby Tito. Valentine. Right. And Bobby Valentine was hired as manager after they bring out like five. It was it was funny because with the media, they they let every um, they let the media interview every managerial candidate after right. they interviewed them. Pete McCannon so and his pocket square, right? What's that? I think that was the the dawn of Pete McCannon and his pocket square. <laughs> well, it's crazy. It's so like you know we were doing that the whole the whole winter and inevitably. Uh, you know, Lucchino, or not the whole winter, but for the first month or two, and then ultimately Lucchino had his guy in mind, wasn't Sherrington's choice, and then that craziness of that whole season. I mean, I remember, you know, so we going, we're going from you know seven and twenty, uh, two thousand and eleven final month to a crazy off season to hire Bobby Valentine to him riding his bike to spring training on the first day, to you know uh, Johnny Miller of WBZ asking, you know, Valentine, I don't know, in probably July, did you see the two articles, the two columns this morning calling for your firing? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, it was a crazy year, a crazy stretch. And um, that was, that was an enormous, you know, not a normal, uh, not a normal, of, but th- I mean, this has been crazy, obviously. This has been crazy. I'm trying to think of any others. Um, I mean, 2014 and 2015 were just weird because they finished last place. They yeah. lost a combined 175 games in those two seasons. I mean, so the, the Red Sox baseball has been pretty weird when you look at it, mm-hmm. you know, over the last decade. With all the winning and everything, it's still been you know, no, short, mean, no shortage of drama. There's been, you know, humongous highs. There's been humongous lows. I mean, you look at it, the Yankees consistently win – Every year, they're over 500. The Red Sox have had some monstrous, disastrous seasons of 69 wins, but they've also won two World Series this decade. And, you know, how many teams can say that? So, uh, yeah, it's just been kind of an up and down. And as you look at it, I mean, you know, they had so much consistency, obviously, with Theo. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're gone through three, three general managers and or, you know, you're on your third general general manager of this decade of the last 10 years or whatever. So it's, yeah, I mean, this has been kind of a weird, but yeah, I mean, obviously Bloom, it's been pretty crazy with what's gone on with him, uh, you know, what he's had to deal with. Right. And, and Matt, you, as the columnist, have to go around, and I would say you probably spend uh, probably more time at Gillette than uh, the Garden or Fenway. It's probably close on a couple of them, but um, during Patriot season, you're at most of their games and travel to some and obviously do the playoffs and everything. So you're, you know that organization very well and they are always at this speed of craziness of things <laughs> happening and scandals and Antonio Brown coming in and uh, Josh Gordon and now Brady's leaving and all this, all these kind of questions. But um, I guess when you compare it to some of those things, how nutty has this stretch uh, watching the Red Sox in September been? It certainly, ha- it's certainly considering that how recently they won a historic World Series, yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. Um, how much things have turned over for Price, you know, who's the hero to be gone? Steve and, and Steven, a complete afterthought. You yeah, know. Stephen uh, Steve Pierce, who is the MVP, has retired. Mookie Betts, who was like 
you know, looked at by a lot of people as one of the most complete players in franchise history, mm-hmm. has been has been traded. Chris Sale, uh, you know, who prided him, you know, himself on durability, is out. Alex Cora, who is the, the genius, the next great manager, a guy that you, you could have seen in that chair for 10 years is gone. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, who the architect of, of you know, a world championship on top, you know, after after winning multiple division championships, you, you, it's it is it's it's enough to blow your hair back and to to uh, if you have it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's enough to blow your hair off. Um, <laughs> so I I would say yeah I I would say at this point, um, I've followed the Red Sox for, you know for longer than you've been alive, yep. and there's always a I'll level remind you of, of that at every turn. Obviously, I I wanted to I uh, wanted to beat you to it. So um, I mean, there's always craziness. Whether it was Roger Clemens, whether it was Mo Vaughn, um, whether it was not you know not sending a uh, a contract in time to Carlton Fisk. The Red Sox are, are always in, at some level of shenanigans, but just the just the repeated drumbeat of it uh, in this offseason, and really repeated drumbeat of it since the end of the 2018 season is, is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I have nothing to compare it to because I joined the beat in June of 2018 and that was just go, go, go. They can't stop winning and they didn't stop winning and covering a whole playoff run and covering, you know, world series and basically a wire to wire championship season, which I didn't cover all of, but I saw, you know, when they were the best team in baseball, when I joined the beat and they were the best team in baseball at the end of the year to a really slow off season. That was kind of the, the break in all this. And then, um, from 2019 was was a uh, an interesting up and down season where they could never get it together and then getting to the point where David Dombrowski was fired I think you know if you like you said if you said you know a year ago right now we would have been the first month of the season they were up and down if you said a year from now you know Dombrowski's not going to be here Cora is not going to be here Sale is going to be hurt that one might have been believable especially if you read Matt's column after the extension um <laughs> Mookie and Price are going to be traded and Holt and Porcello, a couple of glue guys in the clubhouse are not going to be around and there's going to be an investigation. And Oh, also there might not be a season because there's a global pandemic and Tom Brady's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I think there's a lot of times that you just look at and you look at your phone and see a headline and it's just, it's been kind of that wow moment over and over and over again in both Red Sox, the Red Sox world and the greater world with everything, you know, it's gone on in the last few months. So um, as much as we're all slowing down and staying home right now, I think it's important to look back at that, think about the craziness, and, and also take a look at where we go from here. Where are the Red Sox? Who are the Red Sox right now? They're one of 30 teams that are, completely has no idea how to possibly train for the season or what it's going to look like. So that, I guess, evens the playing field a little bit. But when you look at the Red Sox, at least in the context of their current traditional division, the American League East, the one that they are as of right now in before any potential realignment, they're clearly the third best team. And as I look at them, and I know know, Chris has thoughts on this, without Chris Sale, you're looking at a rotation of Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Evaldi, Martin Perez, maybe Ryan Weber, and then a fifth spot that could be filled really by anybody. Uh, And then a team that obviously is missing a huge bat in Mookie Betts, has a pretty good bullpen, but no one knows what you're going to get from the Red Sox this year. They do not look like a contender to me if there is a season played. Um, but Chris, uh, are you a little bit more positive than me or no? No, I was actually surprised, eh, when I saw the bet online 
winning percentage of 520. That's your winning percentage last year was 519. I'd, I'd say they're a below yeah. 500 team this year. If they play, you know, uh, taking Sale out of the mix makes them a below 500 team. I mean, just because their pitching depth isn't there at all. I mean, you, you know, you, you can mention Colin McHugh as a person that, that comes back and maybe yep. helps out the starting rotation. But, um, you know, you look at it and after Sale, go, you know, with Sale going down, you know, obviously David Price is traded. Um, those were two big guys you know, over the last three years. Uh, you know, so, um, yeah, it's difficult. And, you know, they added a lot of depth pitching, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, in this past offseason. Uh, a lot of guys I wrote about during spring training, the Chris Mazes of the world. Yes, you did. The Jeffrey Springs of the world. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know. Those na- I feel like we were we were there talking. You, I was there watching you talk to those guys about six months ago, but it was really like six weeks ago. Exactly, and there's a reason those guys were designated for assignment by their previous teams, right. and you know, so I just don't like the starting pitching depth. Um, I'd like what I would like to see out of this season, if there is a season, is some younger guys get an opportunity, like you know, even Kyle Hart. Uh, who's on the 40-man roster, who hasn't pitched in the majors yet. A late-round draft pick, but he's got some potential. He's got, you know, Brian Bannister one time compared his his pitch mix. Um, you know, who, who, who the heck did he compare his pitch mix to? He compared to some, it to somebody. To somebody, you know? And that's who, oh, Patrick Corbin. <laughs> Just there you go. me, man. <laughs> to Patrick Corbin. So anyway, like, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him get an opportunity. Uh, I'd like to see, uh, you know, um, Mike Schworn because I, I think that he's a good pitcher. I mean, as you were the one that pointed out to me, it, you know, th- he got killed in London, but his, his stats were pretty good besides that. Um, you know, so make give him some starts. Uh, you know, give Brian Mata some starts if he's, you know, able to, uh, you know, pitch well in the minors to start. Tanner Houck's another one? Tanner Houck is a, definitely a guy that I w- would like to see. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's just... I think it's a year. It's a bridge year. and No better time for that than when you have a shortened season and crazy conditions anyway. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, and it's exactly the right time for first sale to, to get the Tommy John surgery because the season probably won't happen. And but, but, like, I look at it as a bridge year, and before I looked at it as, okay, well, they did reduce payroll, and that will – that will um, allow them to make an impact in free agency. So, you know, the bridge year, I mean, they're setting it up so that they can spend in free agency. Now we'll see how they spend if there's no season at all. Um, You know, I'd be surprised if, if, you know, I mean, there were guys out there that I I thought they would get into the bidding again for Mookie Betts, um, even though I I think he's a Dodger. I I think he's going to end up with the Dodgers. I think they're the team that's going to pay money for him. But there's like, you know, the George Springers of the world, there's other guys that they could add and, you know, to complement this team and, and uh, you know, and then add another starting pitcher next offseason. So they have the money to do that. Um, but then the the payroll might not, the, the CBT might not, reset, won't reset if there's no season. So right. they, they'll want to be under that. So there's so many conditions, um, you know, it's, you know, so it's a bridge year, but <laughs> it's difficult I, I think if the... there's no season at all. I think that I, I I generally agree with you uh, on a couple and on a couple of points. I think the Red Sox should try to 
put whatever their best lineup is on the field to start the season. And conversely against the idea of putting the young guys out there just to start with, because if this is a shortened season, you might catch lightning in a bottle and get a little bit lucky with, with somebody that, that had, that comes out of nowhere and has, and has a big year and keeps you in contention because the sample size is smaller. But I a hundred percent agree with you. If, you know, if, when, when it turns out that Martin Perez is not going to win 20 games for you, then you go to the young guys and, and see what you've got and figure out what your building plan looks like. As far as the Mookie Betts situation, I think it's important for the Red Sox to at least look like they attempted to sign Mookie Betts, that they, that they tried to be in that mix with him. I think that's a, that's a message they'll want to send to their fans. And regardless, because I think that, that uh, it'll offer them some sort of plausible deniability at, after the fact when he signs elsewhere, mm-hmm. whether it's with the Dodgers or somebody else, they'll be able to look at it and say, hey, this is what he wanted to do all along. We made an effort. We always wanted him, but he just didn't, you know, this wasn't the way he wanted to do it. And then you can move to guys like Springer, provided there is a season in the, in the, in the uh, collective bargaining resets. Yeah, there's there's just so much out there that is, you know, possible or probable or improbable. There's so many different things, as Chris said, that no one knows exactly what this season's going to look like, and no one knows how the Red Sox are going to be able to trudge their way through it or really any other team so uh it is really uh truly uh wild times no one's ever seen before we're gonna try to take you through it on masslive.com and here in the fenway rundown that's chris smith and matt votor who'll be writing alongside me about the red Sox and whatever they do whether it's on the field or off of it in the next few months so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week